Welcome to MS Maui. Um, this is the follow-on from part one of Jen's story for Carers Week, which you can listen to prior to this one. I don't usually put trigger warnings on, but there is some serious talk about mental health within this blog. Um, so if you feel that may be triggering for you, then I advise you not to listen. Other than that, pull up a pew and let's hear Jen's story. When I was first diagnosed with MS, I met Jen via one of our first Facebook groups. Jen is married to Dave, who has primary progressive MS. Jen is his carer. What struck me about Jen instantly was that was what an amazing person she is. And I quickly began to realise that while she was a carer, she also has her own demons to deal with. As I've said earlier, some of this post might be triggering. So please do not continue if you feel that it may trigger you. What follows is in Jen's own words. And I don't want to take anything away from it by changing those words. Today's post is an emotive one for me, as it's a very difficult part of my caring role, keeping my mental health issues in check with my caring role. I will get quite personal in this, going through my experiences, so please do not read on if candid and honest stories of mental health issues are triggering. I have struggled with various mental health problems for a long time, stemming back to childhood, but these became more apparent as I got into my teens. When Dave and I met in 2005, I was in a hellishly toxic and emotionally abusive relationship and had been since 16. I was abusing alcohol and recreational drugs and was self-harming to the point of hospital admission just to escape. Dave made me realise that I deserved to be alive and saved me from that situation. In the beginning, things were amazing. Obviously, we had Dave's PPMS taking hold, but I felt free and we were planning our new life together, moving away from Manchester and starting afresh. His care needs were minimal, mostly personal care like bathing and shaving and food prep for when I was out of the house. He was permanently using a manual wheelchair at this point, but was fit and strong and very independent. I was working full time and got a promotion at work to assistant manager and was studying for my retail management MVQs. We moved to a lovely big house with a huge garden and adopted a gorgeous German shepherd called Bailey and we married in 2008. Our family was complete and things were great. Then things started to unravel. In mid-2010, we sadly had to leave our rented home and our beloved Bailey was rehomed. This broke my heart, as all I had dreamed of was having a happy home with a dog, as I had never wanted children. This dream was torn away and we eventually moved into a social housing flat, which did not allow dogs. As Dave desperately needed a wet room, we had no choice. His MS worsened ultimately resulting in me quitting altogether in 2015 when he became confined to bed and virtually quadriplegic. 
My mental health started to go awry again. The feelings I had with my ex of being trapped started to come back and I started to resent Dave. I was unable to go back to Manchester to see my friends as much as before. I felt incredibly lonely and lost. My drinking got worse. I began to self-harm again. I developed social anxiety and my disordered eating came back. I was nasty and verbally aggressive and hated myself and my life. Luckily for Dave, I sought out help and started on stronger antidepressants. I had a course of cognitive behavioural therapy and started having fortnightly aromatherapy massage and relaxation training, all prescribed by the NHS. This alongside symbolically separating from Dave and help from my carer's assessment support worker aided me in calming myself and controlling my damaging urges. Within a couple of years, I was back on an even keel and off my meds. Sadly, whilst I was fixing my old issues, an insidious new mental illness was forming. Health anxiety. I started to become obsessed with Dave's health, checking his temperature, heart rate, urine and blood pressure regularly and panicking over the slightest little change, all because Dave got a UTI once and got very poorly. I felt as though it was my fault that I'd missed a sign of infection. I now have a ridiculous amount of diagnostic equipment and I can take and interpret reading so well the GP thought I had a nursing background. I am also obsessed with my own ailments. After an a scare with palpitations, I am convinced I'm going to have a heart attack all the time to the point I have an emergency bag ready and all Dave's care information out all the time just in case it gets so bad. I even worry about going to my parents as they live so far from the hospital. All because I worry about Dave's care if I get sick. I've created coping mechanisms for myself to try and focus my mind away from health stuff, such as learning new hobbies, going for a walk to the shops every day, having Saturdays off from my caring duties, visiting local friends and even getting the odd night out to blow off steam. The pandemic took all these coping mechanisms away. Because of Dave's swallowing and respiratory issues and clinical frailty, we have to shield indefinitely, meaning no leaving the flat or encountering other people. Considering my means of coping with being a carer mostly involves seeing others and leaving the flat, this has taken its toll. I have had some incredibly dark days during the last year. Depression came back along with very dark thoughts, which I thought I would never have again, and I've generally not been a nice person to live with. I am terrified of Dave dying of COVID. I am incredibly worried about me getting sick and being unable to care for him, and I generally do not feel safe outside of the bubble in my flat and are scared of being near other people. The burden of protecting Dave from this virus, which will probably kill him, is so incredibly heavy. To single-handedly be responsible for a life is something which plays on my mind every single day. And a simple task like going to the bin outside makes me panic for days afterwards, just in case I picked up the virus in the communal areas of the block of flats. I bleach contact points daily and deep clean three times a week. I bleach or disinfect everything that comes into my flat and every time I leave my front door and come back in, I have to shower and hot wash my clothes. 
I'm even too scared to get my pet rats out on the days I haven't deep cleaned, just in case they pick up something from the floor and pass it on to me. It is a catch-22. I need to leave the flat and socialise to ease some mental health issues, but in turn leaving the flat exacerbates others, like my health anxiety. There was a fortnight where every day was consumed and I, with thoughts that I didn't want to be here anymore as the responsibility was just too great and I just didn't feel strong enough to protect Dave from the virus. The only thought that stopped me stocking up on bisopropyl and gin was how will Dave raise the alarm if I die. I'm currently doing okay, still struggling with some things and generally do not know if I'll ever feel comfortable with anyone coming to Dave again. But I'm focusing on plans for redecorating my home and working on my education. But I know I'm going to have a lot of work to do before life can get back to normal, if it ever does. I do, however, have it comparatively easy compared to some other carers during the pandemic. Many who rely on care packages have had out their hours cut and in some cases due to shielding, They've had to stop care visits altogether, leaving them to try and manage their loved one's care needs by themselves. We have no care package, so life has not changed for us at all in that respect. People have had social clubs stopped and things like MS centres closed. Their only source of companionship and support. Carers do their job 24-7, 365 days a year. We cannot switch off and separate work from home after a shift. We don't get days off during the week and we don't get holidays from work to look forward to. The people we care for are our job and it's relentless. We don't do what we do just out of love most of the time. It's because we have no choice. This pandemic has compounded that further as we're trapped with our loved ones constantly. The mental health crisis for carers is going to be even bigger due to coronavirus as those who were already hanging on by a thread have had respite coping mechanisms and support services cut. I just hope that carers are recognised as vulnerable to this and get extra appropriate support and help as life begins to return to normal. Next, Jen will talk about benefits. In my personal position as a carer, I feel privileged. Aside from having to declare myself bankrupt due to bad financial choices made during bad mental health periods, we've managed okay with money. Dave thankfully saved into a workplace pension for a couple of years before being made medically retired at age 30. Because he was employed by Barclays, they've looked after him well, making sure he has a helpful amount of pension per month. He also gets enhanced rates for both components of PIP and he claims contribution-based ESA. When I quit work, I started claiming a small amount of housing benefit and council tax and I also claim carer's allowance. All this combined enabled me to quit work and we managed to afford essential bills and shopping plus the odd luxury every now and again. Sadly, it's not the same for many others. Not all with disabilities are entitled to enhanced rates of PIP, namely those with mental health issues or learning difficulties. 
Since DLA changed to PIP and the assessment process changed, it's become much more difficult to get the disability benefits they so desperately need. We also have the abomination that is universal credit, which is confusing and frustrating and not fit for purpose. Most of us are left worse off on it and plunge, it plunged so many pe people into hardship. We've yet to switch to UC. Our housing benefit is still paid from the council. I will admit that I'm not looking forward to the changeover as you can get left for weeks with no benefit and no back pay from the date of application like other benefits. Thankfully, we do not receive much housing benefit due, in, due to it being means tested and Dave's pension pushes us out of most means tested benefits. Then you have carer's allowance. The benefit was introduced back in 1976 to be made payable to care carers of sick and disabled people, quoting from the House of Commons Library. Carers' allowance is formally an income replacement benefit. It is intended to provide a measure of income maintenance for people unable to do full-time paid work because of their caring responsibilities. It is not a payment for care provided or a carer's wage. To be entitled to carer's allowance, a person must be providing at least 35 hours of care a week for someone in receipt of a qualifying disability benefit. Not being a full-time education and if in paid work, have earnings after certain deductions of no more than £123 per week. There are many issues with carer's allowance. The fact that those of pension age cannot claim it yet still perform their caring duties, is just baffling. You do not stop caring because you reach a certain age. Many older folks can be caring for their partner and possibly ailing children and yet receive no financial recompense for that. There is the issue of not being able to earn over a certain amount whilst caring. The minimum amount is generally lower than a typical 16-hour per week part-time contract which is a stumbling block to find employment which can accommodate your minimum hours and also the fact you cannot earn any more means that you are tied to only doing set hours every single week. Now I have worked in retail management. I know exactly how difficult it can be to sort out shop hours when you have people who cannot ever work any extra. I've applied for a couple of part-time jobs since quitting work and never even got to interview stage. And I'm 100% sure it's down to my honesty on the application form stating I was a carer and I couldn't ever work more than 12 hours a week, meaning I couldn't cover holidays or sickness. The issue of not being able to study full time and claim carer's allowance is one that I never realised until recently. I have applied for an open university scholarship, meaning they will pay for an honours degree course for me if I win it. I was all set for knuckling down and doing three years of study to take me closer to my goal of becoming a counsellor or support worker. Upon doing some research into this, I discovered that full-time study is not allowed and I would have to do the course part-time over six, six hours. Six hours, six years. This was a blur as I would need to undertake further study after this degree to follow my dream and this will push me back by three years. I have a lot of free time at home as during the day as Dave does not need much help, just someone here in case of emergencies. 
perform his lung physio or to feed him lunch and drinks. In my situation, there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to study full-time and still care for Dave for 35 hours per week. By far the biggest bone of contention for carers is the amount of carers allowance paid. Most of us do not work alongside claiming carers allowance and in my case, due to housing benefit and other benefits being means tested, I do not claim a lot, probably around £120 per month. When I quit work finally, I had gone from a wage of almost £1,000 per month to 277 essentially swapping £8 an hour for £1.80 an hour. The government state that carer's allowance is not meant to be a wage, but an income replacement benefit. How the hell is that replacing anywhere near close to a salary? Why state we must care for 35 hours minimum if they're not going to compensate us for those 35 hours? Carer's allowance is also much lower than any other income replacements. Benefits like JSA, for example, Job Seekers Allowance. When you consider that to employ a carer, it would cost between around £9 per hour for a private carer and £19 an hour for agency staff. Carer's Allowance looks like a pittance. As I have said earlier, I am a lucky position to not need many benefits as Dave's income covers most of our living expenses, but so many are not in the fortunate position like mine. We keep having the fact that we do what we do out of love thrown back at us when we question MPs, etc. Love doesn't pay the bills or respite care fees. Sadly, I do not think that we will ever see carers' allowance paid in lamp with a type of wage. When disability benefits are being constantly slashed and council budgets for social care cut to a catastrophic levels, I genuinely cannot see any significant changes being made which is a travesty and an insult to carers everywhere. We do not choose to live on handouts, far from it. I'd give anything to still work, earning my own money, being financially independent, having a sense of pride in what I did and engaging socially with others through work are all things sadly missed and my council just cannot provide a care package enough to allow me to work. I want stability and security. And being an unpaid carer just does not give you that. The future. The future was never something I thought about until it seemed too late. I always thought that I would have longer to have a life, to travel, to have a career, all with Dave beside me in his wheelchair. How wrong was I? MS is such an unpredictable illness and I genuinely did not appreciate just how aggressive Dave's MS was until we had to move into specialist housing and I had to quit work as the council could only offer me a couple of hours a day care package. After just 10 years of diagnosis, MS has seemingly won. Suddenly my whole entire life revolved around caring for Dave. With advanced MS being chronic rather than terminal, there is no end point. We've just got to crack on and see his life through, however long he may have left. This also means that I am going to have a hefty gap in my employment history and nothing to show for it. No qualifications or references from anyone to refer to my time being a carer. 
I did investigate MVQs, but these require you to be employed and have a place of work to be assessed in. I have a lot of free time on my hands in the flat with Dave, so I toyed with the idea of doing an online educational course from the Open University for a few years. My low self-esteem always got the better of me and talked me out of it. Then I found out about a brand new Carer Scholarship initiative from them meaning a free degree course to those who get chosen. I enjoy supporting people, so I decided to bite the bullet and if I win, I will be doing an honours degree in psychology with counselling. This will enable me to take the first step to gaining qualifications to become a counsellor. I'd love to help the carer community and do support work or offer counselling to carers. So I have now got everything crossed that I win the scholarship. I'd love for the government to recognise that carers need some kind of stability and hope for the future and offer some form of officially recognised training or educational courses to carers, especially younger folks like myself who won't have that role forever to help give them something to strive for and to help with. Reintegrating back into society after their caring role ends. Having something official on paper will also aid in gaining employment after caring finishes. We have zero savings due to our financial situation and we do not own our own home. So once Dave has gone, I'll pretty much have nothing. If I have a degree, at least it will show that I've been trying to educate myself along with the other skills studying brings and it will open more doors to different types of employment, meaning I hope to find a job quickly. I'm even hoping to learn to drive next year to enable me to get out and help people in my chosen career and carry on my education. I managed my first ever trip abroad last year to Krakow in Poland and got well and truly bitten by the travel bug. And I want to travel all over Northern Europe, so I need to be earning Dave and I talk about the end a lot. We're both very matter-of-fact about death and we know he will not live a long life. Being the care of someone with a life-limiting illness can be bittersweet. You worry about what's going to happen as you know full well what's coming, but you try to just get on with each day as it comes and be grateful for each day. The person we care for is happy and comfortable. Yes, the future being unpredictable is scary, but I'm thankful for the close support I have in my life and I know I'll be okay. I've also learned that it's okay to want better for yourself and to take opportunities to help give yourself a little piece of something for you. I hope my posts this week have informed you about who are those of you who are not carers I know some aspects can be uncomfortable to read, but I'm just a tiny drop in an ocean of unpaired carers in the UK, most with more difficult stories than mine. I hope that those who are carers have found solace and solidarity in my story. You are not alone. I also hope for a future where carers are recognised, respected and given as much support as they need in the form of respite and increasing carers allowance and proper mental health support. Carers' charities must do more and must be more vocal and forceful around issues and not just exist to fill a gap in the charity market. We must be visible. We must have hope.
Jen is the owner of a Facebook group called Fighting the Monster, Life with Multiple Cirrhosis, uh, which if you click through to this post, you can find um, at accessiblereach.co.uk. I personally want to thank Jen for allowing me to share her incredibly honest story with you all and truly hope one day carers are recognised for all the work they do and they get the support they so desperately need. Please do take a moment to write to your MP and ask them to add their voice to funding for carers' breaks because now more than ever, Carers really need a break. In closing this week, I once again want to thank Jen for allowing me to share her story. Um, and I hope that any carers out there have found maybe some inspiration from what Jenna's told us um, it's really not right that in this day and age carers are, are put under so much pressure and it can't continue the government keep saying they're going to sort out social care and it just seems to be put on the back by an um, I don't want to get political about it because if I start getting political about it you'll never hear the end of me I am looking to kind of possibly take this audio blog into a podcast. So if anybody's interested in chatting to me on any of the subjects that I cover, um, then please drop me a DM. Um, you'll find me on social media under Accessible Rich at Facebook, Twitter, TikTok and LinkedIn and Accessible underscore Rich on Instagram. Um, I look forward to chatting with you all. Bye for now.